Ecclesiastes, we've been working our way through, we're, we're uh, going to be halfway through tonight, um, we're taking two chapters at a pop, and as we do so, there's several things, you know, I've shared with you guys before, traditionally, people looked at Ecclesiastes as uh, something that was written by Solomon, but there's actually no proof that that's true. The, the correlations with Solomon's life end at chapter 2. And, uh, and But we continue to go on with the, as your Bibles will, will say it, the preacher, right? The preacher or the teacher. The word is koaleth. In the Hebrew, koaleth uh, means like professor, uh, speaker. Um, for, for our purposes, it would be like philosopher. Because what he's going to do is just ask a bunch of questions, not really give a lot of answers. But as he does it, there's a point to it. You see, you, you have his... Testimony, coalesced testimony between chapter 1 and 12, and then bracketed outside of it, you have a narrator. And the narrator first introduces the guy, introduces coalesced, and then he lays out his philosophy, which is uh, basically uh, life is hard and then you die. We're going to find that all the way through Ecclesiastes. And then at the end, the narrator is going to say to his son, son, be careful about philosophies like this. Keep your eyes on the Lord and obey Him. So that's the focus. So it's a lot of times when people come to Ecclesiastes, they want to pull a little bit out or write a song about chapter 3. Or, and, and we've seen how it's not exactly saying <laughs> what you think it is. If you'll take your time to take a look at what is really going on. So Koaleth is giving, like, uh, the best way to, to give you a correlation, how many of you guys have read Job? Yeah, don't be afraid. So you read Job. Job has a bunch of friends that give him advice, right? And of, of Job's friends, some of the things they say are kind of true, and a lot of the things they say aren't, right? And the same kind of a deal, at the end of Job, what happens? God comes to Job's friends and says, hey, you guys got it wrong, and you need to pray that Job will pray for you, so the things that happen to him doesn't happen to you. All right? That'll get you praying, won't it? So... Ecclesiastes is similar to that. So we're going to look at chapter 5 and 6 tonight. If you, if you have your Bibles, join with me. I'll be reading out of the, the ESV, so hopefully you guys can follow along. It says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven... And you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should uh, vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for the land in every way. Even the king is committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, 
nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches are kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils in the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, and in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen... To be good and fitting is to eat and to drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For uh, it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun nor known anything, yet it finds rest uh, rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, does not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite isn't satisfied. For what advantage has a wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one who is stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? Who, For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? Let's pray. Father God, we just lift this time to you, Lord, as we come to this book. God, we pray you would give us insight. Open our eyes, God, that we can see. Open our ears that we can understand. Help us to to be able to place our finger firmly on the philosophy of Koaleth, the preacher, the teacher, the, the philosopher who lays out this comprehension of what is life like without God. Lord, we pray that you would meet us in this place. God, that your spirit would move and speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we come to 
polls around the nation, you guys know as well as I do, it seems like over and over again the polls tell us that everybody's a Christian, right? 98.5% or 95% or, you know, the polls will say these people are, are all proclaiming to be believers. But at the same time, those same people who are polled have this to say. It is tremendously narrow-minded for one religion to say it's the right one. It's tremendously narrow-minded for us to say you have to believe this religion and not these. How do we put those two ideas together? Because religion moved into the category sometime when I was a kid. It became something that wasn't true, but could be good for you. And because it's something that's not true, it doesn't have to be true, it just is good for you, then it didn't matter which one you follow, you follow whichever one makes you happy. Because truth doesn't matter. All that matters is that it does something good for you. Somewhere we, we bought into this philosophy, and this philosophy, guys, is very similar to Coalesce. Coalesce philosophy is that religion's not about truth, it's about what can make you find joy in this life. Over and over and over again, you're going to hear him say, I tried all this stuff, but nothing made me happy. Anybody ever felt that way? I tried to find satisfaction in riches. He said, I've got all these riches, but I can't take them with me. I'm going to die and they stay behind. Job said, naked I have come and naked I go, right? So that you have the same thing here in in Ecclesiastes, a similar phrase, laid out the same way. I, I don't get to bring anything with me. The great equalizer for Koaleth was everybody dies. Why, does he, why is that his focus? Because he's looking at a philosophy of life under the sun, apart from God. He's going to refer to God, but he's going to refer to God as far away, and you're not really able to touch him or comprehend him or understand him, nor have a relationship with him. So it doesn't really matter the things that you do. We're going to see that in just a moment as we take a look. And so what happens is they move from the reality of what a relationship with a true God looks like, and they move into a philosophy that tries to find something that makes sense in life apart from God. And one of the things he discusses, and one of the things we've talked about before, once we leave our ultimate authority, in other words, once you say, it doesn't matter, religion doesn't have to be true, it just needs to make you feel good, then there's no particular reason to hold to the Bible as anything special, right? So we leave the Bible behind, and now you've lost your foundation for morality. You have no grounds upon which to say something is right or something is wrong. How are you going to say it's wrong? It's wrong because you say so? Well, what if I don't agree? I think this is okay, and you think that's okay, and that's the way we're trying to live in our world today. Right now, our, our nation is divided because of that exact thing. There's no ultimate foundation. There's no ultimate truth. If there's no ultimate truth, how can you say you're right and I'm wrong? You have no ground to stand on. Why? Because I gave up life under the S-O-N, and I accepted life under the S-U-N. There is no God. We must save ourselves. So Koaleth is looking for a philosophy that's going to help him understand why are we here. We're still asking that question, aren't we? What is the chief purpose of man? 
The Westminster Confession says the chief purpose of man is to enjoy God. But if God is someone I can't relate with, I can't, I can't have a relationship, I can't know, I can't fathom, then what becomes my purpose? To please myself? To please others? We talked about all those philosophies, right? Philosophy was one of my favorite courses in school. I love philosophy. I love sitting around and arguing about things that at the time, by the time you're done, everybody's sure that nobody knows anything. I don't, I always found great pleasure in, in that with, with philosophy. So we want to recognize what has occurred is mankind has said the spiritual realm isn't real. And if the spiritual realm isn't real, then it doesn't matter. Believe what you want, follow what you want, think what you want. All religions are relative. You don't have to believe anything in particular. But you see, Colette is doing this. He's trying to ponder, how do we relate to God? How does religion work? The first three things he's going to talk about in chapter 5 is, is, should we talk to God? And if so, how? Should we make promises to God? If so, what, what should that look like? Should we make sacrifices to God? What is this? But when your view of God is faulty, what happens with everything else? It just becomes the mess. And what does he end up with over and over and over again? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, and the striving after the wind. And you work your whole life to chase the wind, and when you chase the wind and you finally catch it, what do you get? A lot of nothing, right? It's a waste of effort. This is what he's saying about it. So in verse 1, he says, guard your steps when you go down to the house of God. Be careful how you relate to God. This is what Coalette is saying. Be careful how you relate to God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Now, the Bible does tell us we ought to learn to listen twice as much as we speak, right? That'd be a good practice. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Isn't that what James said? Be quick to listen, hear. But here, Kohelet is saying, look, don't, don't be quick to talk to God. This is his point. You don't want to offer the sacrifice of fools. Why? Because they do not know what they're doing is evil. The idea of the translation is... Sometimes their worship of God is so foolish that they don't really know, they're not really aware that their sacrifice is actually an offense to God. This is what Koaleth is saying. Now I can go out, well, I can go in my office, go online and order a t-shirt that is that says on the t-shirt, Jesus, save us from your followers. What is their point? Well, these people that worship you, Jesus, they got no idea what they're doing. They're doing it all wrong. Now, who is it that's purporting this? The world. Why? Because they don't like what people who truly follow Jesus Christ have to say. They don't like the fact that people who truly follow Jesus Christ stand on an ultimate truth. The Word of God. So what is their view? Just like coalesce. They don't know how to worship. They're not worshiping you right, God. Now, by what authority do they say that? By what authority can the world say, you're not worshiping Jesus right? By what authority can the world say, have they ever spent any time knowing who he is? What he teaches? What he said? What his word says? So, we speak, the world speaks from ignorance and makes a supposition and says, hey, they're not doing it right. And if they say it loud enough on the news and they've made enough movies, everybody believes it's true. 
Right? All I have to do is be famous. If I'm famous, then I got it all worked out. I've done it all right. Everything's good. So we want to see, this is the same thing that Koaleth is saying about sacrifice. Look what he has to say about prayer. Verse 3, it says, or let's back up to verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you're on the earth. What's he saying? Don't talk to God so much. You guys get what I'm talking about here? It's not hard to see. Don't talk to God so much. Don't be hasty to talk to the Lord. Whatever you do, don't pray every day. Let your words be few. Now, there are people who have wrote songs about that. Oh, yes. It's a beautiful song. But the point of Koaleth is not, let your words be few. He's saying, only the fool wastes his time in prayer. Only the fool wastes his time in prayer. Remember, the narrator of Ecclesiastes is telling his son, don't follow this philosophy. Listen to it. We hear this kind of philosophy around us all the time. Why in the world would the Bible have the, Why would this book be in the Bible? Because this is the same philosophy of the world right now. And those things haven't changed. People have always struggled with living a life submitted to God. And this is the same thing. He's saying, don't be rash. Don't ask Him. Don't, ask, don't talk to God too much. Why? Because He's in heaven and you're on earth. He's bigger than you. He's better than you. You don't have a right to go to Him. What does the Word of God declare? The Word of God tells us through Christ we can enter boldly to the throne of grace, right? We can make our requests known every day. Jesus said, everything you ask in my name, I hear. Right? The idea is we're being invited to make our words to God. But Koaleth is saying, no, you don't want to spend too much time in prayer. You don't want to spend too much time in sacrifice. See, the idea is none of these things are all that important. That's not an uncommon philosophy today. What about your vows? When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Ultimately, what's he saying? Don't make vows. Don't make vows. Because if you make a vow, you're not going to be able to pay it. And then later on, you're going to try to make an excuse about your vow. Anybody ever made a vow to God? Anybody ever break a promise to God? Anybody actually believe that if you break a promise with God, God's done with you? If you do, read a book called Hosea. Anybody familiar with a book called Hosea? Hosea, the prophet, the Lord says, Hosea, I, gotta, I want you to be a living illustration for me. So will you please go marry a prostitute? How's that marriage going to work out? Okay, in the end. Little rugged in the middle, right? And so he marries a prostitute, she bears him children, then she runs off and disappears, and she's living the wild life, and he doesn't know where she's at, and God says to the children of Israel, This is how you guys are to me. You're unfaithful. You're out there, you've turned your back on me, you've gone out into the world, you're doing all these things. But the good news is Hosea doesn't end there. What happens next? God says to Hosea, Hosea, go buy your wife back. Yeah, she's lost in slavery. So Hosea goes and purchases his wife and brings her home and sets her up and takes care of her. And God says to the nation of Israel, that's what I do for you. Yeah, we, every one of us in this room have broke a promise to God. 
Every one of us said, Lord, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to do this again. Right? And one day it actually works. One day it sticks. But sometimes there's a lot of promises in between. Kohelet would say, don't make promises to God. Don't, don't make vows. And whatever vows you make, make sure that, you, that you're able to keep them. As though the religion, the idea of religion is what? If I can do it, if I can perform it, if I can do enough good things, then God will be happy with me. Isn't that the same philosophy of Job? When Job's friends come to Job and they say to Job, Job, you must be a bad man because only bad things happen to bad people. Bad things never happen to good people. So you therefore must be bad. Well, the truth is, we all are. And there's no, there's no way for us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. What do we need? We need a Savior, right? His name is Jesus Christ. We reach out to Him. He makes us clean. He enables me to keep my vows, right? It's only in Him, not in me. It's not in me. It's not even about me. And that's the point. He's, he says in verse 7, he says, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. You have these crazy dreams and then you start praying and talking to God too much. That's just a waste of time. There is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. He's big, he's out there, and he's going to get you. That's the philosophy of Colette. The Bible does teach us that we should have the fear of God. We should have the fear of God. That's... Trust me, none of us are going to have to work that up when we meet him. We're not going to go, oh my gosh, I, I hope I really am able to act like I'm afraid. Don't worry about it, that'll be easy. Right? You stand before him, being afraid will be simple. The beauty of you standing before God is, Jesus Christ is going to come alongside, put his hand on yours and say, you're mine. Let me introduce you to our Father who art in heaven. Isn't that how the prayer starts? Let me bring you. Let me usher you in. This is what Jesus Christ does for us. But you see, Koalath doesn't have the benefit of that. Koalath has a philosophy of life under the sun, apart from God. If you look at the very next section in Ecclesiastes 5, 8 and 9, this is the network of oppression in the, in the role of government. Is, does government still oppress today? Is that shocking? Oh my, you've got to be kidding me. Did government oppress back then? crazy well he's right in this there's nothing new under the sun right the the evil of man is still the evil of man we still seem to be able to do it if you see a province if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness do not be amazed that's what colette's saying yeah this is how life will always be for the high officials watched by a higher one and there are yet higher ones over them what's he saying all government is Corrupt. Well, how do we say it? Power corrupts. Right? Power corrupts. What's Kola saying? That they're, they're, they're corrupt. This guy's corrupt and the guy over him's corrupt. And why does it keep going? Because the guy on top of that's corrupt too. He goes all the way up to the king. He says, <clears throat> um, But this is gain for land in every way. A king committed to cultivated fields. Now, if you read that in the ESV, that's what I just did. It doesn't make any sense. When I run across a verse that doesn't make sense, it's what I do. I've shared with you guys before, I use five different Bibles when I study. Because I want to understand the text. And it takes five different... You guys all know this comes out of Hebrew, right? 
comes out of Hebrew. And I can stand before you the stack of books that I use when I'm studying. And that stack of books will say this over and over and over again. Wow, this is really hard to translate. You guys ever had a friend tell you, maybe uh, speak in Spanish and tell a joke and everybody laughs and you ask him, hey, what is the joke? And he says, it doesn't translate. Anybody ever told you that? Yeah, sometimes it don't translate. They tell you it in English and it don't make any sense. Because not everything is straight across, right? Word for word. So, so this is the things that we're dealing with. So in, I'm going to quote from two other uh, uh, Bibles given that same verse, the LEB and the NET. Uh, Lexham English Bible and uh, and the Net Bible says, Do not be surprised if you see the poor being oppressed with violence, or do not see justice and righteousness in the province. For one official is watched by a higher official, and there are even higher officials over them. And the produce of the land is exploited by everyone, even the king profits from the field of the poor. In the NET Bible, it says, If you see the extortion of the poor and the perversion of justice and fairness in the government, do not be astonished by the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher official, and there are higher ones over them. The produce of the land is seized by all of them. Even the king is served by the fields. Sometimes when we take a look at a few other verses, help us understand what's going on. Because a phrase is difficult. And every Bible, people... People get worried about Bible translations, so don't worry about Bible translations. There are over 20,000 texts that those Bible translations are built from, and as they're built from those texts, each one has a different focus. There, one says that we're going to try to be really literal, so it's a very literal translation. Another says we're going to try to translate the thought. What, what's the writer meaning? So it maybe is going to say it a little different way, and this one over here may say it a little different way. But when we take a look at multiples, it helps us understand, be able to understand what's going on in the text, what's happening. And when you run up against one that's really different, then you know something. What do you know? You know that verse is hard to translate. It's difficult. It's difficult to understand. But we see here, we see the oppression, the government. Uh, we see the, the, that he is saying, look, Coalette is saying, government oppresses. Justice and righteousness. We don't see him. Even the officials, even the king is taking advantage. Then he looks at wealth and the instability of it. Look at verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity, meaningless. He said, he said I see something about the wealthy. You never have enough. If you ask a wealthy person what's enough, they'll say, just a little bit more. The idea is, it doesn't matter if it's wealth. You, it could be anything. I have, God has blessed me. I have a beautiful Harley. I love to ride it. Um, I'll say it again. If the Lord wants it, he can take it. So maybe he'll get it tomorrow. But one of the, the things I notice about it, even though I love it and, and everything about it I like, uh, I can still look at a new one and say, Ooh, that's pretty cool. I would take that too. Why? Because we're not satisfied. You say, oh, I'm very satisfied. Trust me, there's something you're not satisfied about. I don't know what it is. You do. Sometimes I have that perfect bowl of ice cream. You guys ever had that? Perfect bowl. You're like, oh, man, that was good. So I'm never going to eat ice cream again. Oh, no. What happens? 
Oh yeah, come on, I'm not hungry at all, but I'll get some more. I'll throw some more ice cream down. Why? Because my eye, this is what Colette says, our eyes are never satisfied. We always want more. So he's saying of the wealthy, they have this desire, but if you have a desire that it is impossible to satisfy, it's meaningless. The desire is meaningless. Don't make your life about chasing that desire because it can never be satisfied. That is his point. Verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. So the more you get, the more it costs you, right? The the person who makes the more money, how do we say it? The more I make, the more I spend. Same thing, right? Hey, the more you have, the more mouths there are to feed. (laughs) People, you get a big house, then you got a big group of servants. Maybe you got uh, somebody to mow your lawn. Maybe Rusty's mowing your lawn and... And uh, you got somebody else to come by and take your dog for a walk. And the more mouths to feed, if you will, the more that you have. What advantage has their owner but to see them with his own eyes? What good does it do him? doesn't do him any good. More money, more stuff, more stuff, more bills. Verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of the laborer. Whether he eats little or much. You got this other guy, he just got a job. He, he might have had a lot to eat or not very much to eat, but he's sleeping like a baby. The rich fella, he had a lot to eat. And he's not sleeping like a baby. He's got indigestion. He's dealing with gout. He's struggling with diabetes. Right? Any of that sound familiar? He's worried about whether or not he's going to wake up and still have his money. I don't know. But he's not sleeping like a baby. The laborer is able to sleep like a baby. So, Coalette is saying, well, what's the point of chasing it then, if it doesn't satisfy? Life under the sun has lost its meaning. Then he talks about a great evil in verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. He's going to give us two examples. One, riches were kept, hoarded. A guy hoarded his riches and didn't spend them. Okay, that's example number one. Example number two follows the word and. Those riches are lost in a bad venture. So the other guy had a lot of riches, but he lost them all. What do the two guys have in common? The guy who hoarded it all and never spent it, and the guy who had it but lost it, neither one got to enjoy their riches. This is the great evil that he's talking about. He's going to say, he is a father of a son, he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, so shall he go again. Naked I've come, naked I will return, right? Naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. What gain is there to him who toils for the wind? What do you gain when you catch the wind? A handful of air, right? There's nothing there. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and in much vexation, sickness and anger. Life is hard. He strives and strives, and it's all meaningless. That's the philosophy of Kola. A philosophy of life under the sun, apart from God. The loss of his foundation. The erosion of the foundation that says there is absolute truth. There is a relationship that can be had. But he has lost all of these things. So then he says, well, what do I do about this pain? Look at verse 18. Behold, 
What I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toils which one toils under the sun for the few days of his life. This is the most pessimistic guy you will ever talk to. You thought, uh, I talked to you, Jackie, and you're pretty pessimistic. I'm not as pessimistic as him. The best you can do is to eat and drink and enjoy what little bit of work you have in your short, miserable life. That's a pretty depressing guy, no? This is what he's saying. This is what he's talking about. This is how we should deal with it. And then he's going to blame it all on God. Watch. He's going to say the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. Do you guys catch it? His point is, the people who can enjoy what they have are the ones that God has given the ability to enjoy what they have. Everybody can't enjoy what they have. You have to have a special permission from God to enjoy what you have. That's his philosophy. This arbitrary God out in the universe. But in reality, when you are in God, you will find joy. The Bible says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. In the presence of God is the fullness of joy. We experience it when we have that relationship. Guys, when we have our vertical right, our relationship with God is correct. We, we are enjoying that relationship. It's according to, to God's word, right? It's truth, not just some random thing out there. All, all, all you have to do is be sincere. That's good enough. But when it's rooted in truth and we believe in the truth of the spiritual realm, just as true as the physical realm, we discover that you can have joy. Koalath didn't know what was up with those people. Why is that guy happy? Why is that guy happy? Why is that? Ah, oh, God let him be happy. God let him be happy, but God made me miserable. God won't let me be happy. That's what Koalath is saying. I'm not, he's, he's already said it's better to be stillborn, didn't he? It's better to be stillborn and never see life than to be born. So this is his view of life under the sun. This is his idea of life out in, in the sun. It says... God has given him the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. So God, God makes him not able to see the same things Koalath sees. Well, that's sort of true. But it's true because he sees something greater. He finally found something that can satiate that desire in man. Coalette said earlier that God placed in the heart of man eternity. To me, the, the, one of the best ways to understand that, you guys have all heard it before, I'm sure, is a God-shaped hole in people's lives. The idea that there's something missing. Everybody's striving for something, right? But they're, and, and they're finding, um, they're finding the ability to be, to be distracted. So I can be distracted by my riches, or I can be distracted by a relationship, or I can be distracted by this or that or the other thing. All these other things can distract me, <clears throat> but I'm not satisfied. I'm not satiated. But he finds that satisfaction in the true relationship with God, which is what the narrator at the end of Ecclesiastes says. My son, watch out for philosophies like this, because they're going to sell themselves to you as wisdom. 
and they'll take you on a road that doesn't lead to life. He goes on to say in Ecclesiastes uh, 6 1, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, and a striving after the wind. It's all a waste. You spent your life building barns and bigger barns. Jesus told a story like that, didn't he? A man kept having these great harvests, and he tear down his barns and build a bigger one. Tear down those barns and build a bigger one. One day he said, this is it. I'm going to tear down the barns one more time, build a big one. I'm going to, I'm going to take in this harvest, and then I'm going to relax. And God said, thou fool, today your soul is required of you. You spent your life spending for barns and amassing wealth. And that wasn't the point or the purpose of life. Koaleth understands the same thing. Wealth can't be the purpose of life, but he misses it because he doesn't have the part. He's missing the part of the equation to know God. To follow Him. The book of Proverbs just before Ecclesiastes tells us two paths. Two paths you can walk. One that leads to destruction. One that leads to life. We get to pick what path we're on. You get to make your choices. Pay attention to the street signs. The book of Proverbs is all about telling us how to know what path we're on. The path of the fool. The path of the wise. We want to follow the Lord. Verse 3 if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so he's got long life and a big family, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness his name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. He says, look at this man who's blessed. He's got a lot of kids and he lived a long time, but he never found satisfaction. He was never able to find it. There's a lot of people like that in the world. Jesus said, you want to find satisfaction? Listen to his words. I am the way, the truth, and the... No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus said, I have come that you might find life. Life how? More abundant. The more abundant life. Jesus Christ is that tie. People can come searching for a lot of other things. But Koaleth has no answer for them. Koaleth's answer is it's better not to be born. He gives an illustration in, uh, in verse 6. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over. So now the guy's two thousand years old. Now that does not sound good to me at all. That's not, I'm not looking for that. Just the right amount of time is just right, right, you know? And so he says, I, he's going to live 2,000 years, yet enjoy no good. Don't we all go to one place? What one place do we all go to? The grave. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. Apart from the Lord's return, we're all going to die. And Koaleth did not know what to do with that. What do I do with that? I live my life all the way to the end, but I live my life as a wise man and I die, and the fool lives his life as a fool and he dies. We both died. 
Because he's talking about life under the sun instead of life under the S-O-N, under the Son of God. One has hope, the other has nothing. And that's the teacher, that's the preacher here in Ecclesiastes, in his story. No matter how long he lives, they all die, so life has no meaning. Verse 7, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Nothing satisfies him. For what advantage has the wise over the fool? That's what we just said. What does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? He says, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Just keep in your eyes on the prize. Don't follow your appetites because your appetites are what? Never satisfied. Never satisfied. So don't do that. It's a waste of time. So he says, I'm going to give you some wise advice. Now, anytime somebody gives you wise advice, they should start it like our philosophy professor here. He says, whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one who is stronger than he. So he says, here's my wise advice. Here's my wise advice. It's meaningless and unhelpful. <laughs> Thanks. I wish more, more people who gave me advice knew that before they gave it to me. It's, it's unwise and unhelpful. He says, the more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? Oh, it's not going to do any good. You're not going to listen anyway. Here's the two questions he asks. For who knows what is good for man while he lives his few days of this vain life? Who knows what is good? How come he doesn't know what is good? The Bible says in the fall of man, man learned the difference between good and evil, right? Man learned the difference between good and evil. How come man doesn't know it? Because man has surrendered the ultimate authority. Once you surrender the ultimate authority, what justification for good do you have? It's God's word that gives us good. It's God's word that shows us good. So we don't have to, if we surrender that, once, we, once you throw that away, what do you have? Your opinion. I can say, I know that this is wrong because God's word says it's wrong. Now you can say, I don't care what God's word says, that's your choice. But I have an authority to stand on. I can know what is right. His first question, how do we know what is good? Second question, who can tell a man what will come after him under the sun? Nobody knows the future. Who can tell a man his future? Who can tell a man what's good? And who can tell a man his future? The answer is the same for both of them. The one who lives above the sun. The one that Koaleth doesn't have as a part of his philosophy. The one that the narrator is going to tell us, be warned, my children, not to follow philosophy like this. You let this philosophy go and you follow Christ. You follow him because he'll lead us on the path of life. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time, the opportunity to study your word, the opportunity to come before you. God, we pray that you would help us. Help us to see the philosophy of the world and the teaching of Koleth. And help us to recognize, God, that, that you want something else from us. You want us to understand that that while there's a little bit of truth seasoned in coalesce uh, um, philosophy, it doesn't have the foundation. It's not founded in you. 
It's not founded upon you. But what other foundation can any man build than on the foundation of Christ? Lord, we pray that we might recognize the truth that life under the S-O-N has lots of meaning. I have a reason to get up every morning, whether I'm rich or poor, whether I'm full or my stomach is empty. I have a purpose in this world, a purpose to follow Jesus Christ and to be the man he's called me to be. And whatever he asks me to be, he empowers me to be. He doesn't just expect me to be able to conjure it on my own. He doesn't leave me an orphan. He walks that road with me. Every step. Yeah, there is meaning to life under the S-O-N. God, I pray that we would all know life under the Son, which is Jesus Christ. I pray we would all know life in the Son. As Ephesians 2 lays out for us, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Him. God, we ask Your blessing as we close this time now. Lord, we pray You go before us in Jesus' name. Amen.